Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode four of my podcast, Steps to the Spirit. As I said at the end of last week's episode, I'd like to continue with the glorious highlights of my younger years of addiction. Of course, they're not really highlights, and they're certainly not glorious. But I would like to relate them to you, not because I think you may have had similar or exactly the same kinds of experiences, but more to show a pattern. That pattern leading to what I think was almost a complete loss of self-esteem or self-worth. I really believe that when we come out of the womb, we are kind of like perfect individuals. We have not yet been given any expectations to live up to. We just need to live, breathe, eat, and be happy little people. Of course, the expectations do come. For some of us, whether we experience failure or success in those expectations, there is always love. Love that is given by parents or significant other people in our lives. For others of us, If those expectations aren't met, whether it might be potty training, getting good grades in school, being polite to others, we might be told that we are bad people and we do not get the sense that we are given love. So love becomes conditional and we discover that we only get love when we behave in a way that other people like or want us to. If I don't behave in that way, no matter whether it was because I couldn't or didn't want to, I started to feel like I was lacking in a certain important parts of personhood. I couldn't be the person that people wanted me to be, so I wasn't loved. Hence, I didn't love myself. So getting on with my life, After high school and going to drafting school, I was already skipping school because I was going to a bar or in some other way feeding my addiction. I was only 16 at the time. By the time I turned 17, I convinced my parents to sign papers for me to go into the Army. I signed up in the Army to learn a job called... I believe it was radio and carrier repair. At the time, electronics looked interesting to me, and I thought it might be a thing I'd like to do. However, after basic training, I ended up being sent to Fort Bliss in Texas to a military police company. This was probably typical Army. Here I was, a 17-year-old, with no military training, in police work, and I was given a position of authority, given a loaded 45 caliber pistol to carry, and an alcoholic. Talk about a recipe for disaster. However, somehow I got through it, ended up coming back home, and then started what turned out to be a long list of jobs, as well as failures. I was always fortunate in that I could learn any job that I tried in a relatively short time. 
However, I soon found out that employers like you to be there, and especially on Monday mornings, and they just generally liked you to show up for work. And if you did show up for work, they liked you to not smell of alcohol from the night before. So I would get a job, hold it for a while. I was able to, I think I was called what would be a periodic alcoholic. I could not drink for a while, let myself do well on a job, maybe get a raise or a promotion. But eventually, the feeling always came up over me that I was being a phony. The feeling always seemed to come up that if they really knew me, if they knew who I was, they would really hate me. So eventually, I would drink again, go on a bender, lose the job. Sometimes I would get in a car and go to Florida. That was a typical thing. I'd go to Florida on a drunk, uh, come back after a while on a drunk and come back to New York. After a while, my parents got tired of it and they actually moved at some point and didn't leave a forwarding address. At one point uh, in my life, later on, I counted during this time 64 jobs in eight years, which of course is an average of eight jobs per year. They could have been anything. They were working in kitchens, working in offices, working in a factory doing glaze work. As I said, I was able to do most anything that I put my mind to. I realized in retrospect that a lot of people, even employers, did like me, and they tried to do what they could to help. But of course, I didn't see myself as likable in the slightest. As a result of one of these benders, I ended up, when I was about 19 years old, in Daytona Beach, Florida. After my money ran out, I found myself in a men's shelter which was connected to a thrift store where we worked. And one of the requirements to be in that shelter was that I had to attend, I think it was two or three AA meetings per week. I attended my first meeting at a place that was an AA clubhouse in Daytona. I'll never forget that first meeting. I felt immediately that I belonged. I felt immediately that these people understood what problems I was having. It was what they called the speaker meeting that somebody or two people I think spoke. And I identified all the way with both of them, what they said. Not so much with the exact things that happened in their lives, but with the feelings that they had and the reasons that they drank. I also heard about their program. I heard about their 12 steps. I heard about how part of their sobriety was changing themselves and also helping others to become well. As I said, I'll never forget that experience. I thought I died and went to heaven. This was the answer to my prayers. I tried to get involved. I tried to do the things that they suggest that I do. I made coffee. 
I went to a lot of those meetings. I even started to participate in the meetings by speaking and <clears throat> telling my story. I started doing the steps, as they called it. However, I wasn't ready to really live the steps by any means. In other words, I wasn't willing to change, and I certainly wasn't willing to surrender my life. So after about three months, four months maybe, I started to drink again, lost everything I had put together up to that point, and ended up going back to the Bronx, New York. My family took me in once again, and the whole cycle started all over. Basically, I would get another job, do well for a while, start drinking again, lose the job, sober up, get another job, and on and on and on. At one point, I convinced my parents to finance a trip to California, Los Angeles. I think they were overjoyed to have a chance to get rid of me the same as they were when I went in the service. So I ended up going to L.A. with money in my pocket and a chance for a new start. Well, need I tell you, the money went mostly to drinking, but for the first time I ended up in a thing called a rehabilitation program. This particular place had four large facilities and I stayed at one of them and went to classes and learned about alcoholism and learned what I needed to do in order to change my life. I recall the counselors there, they were very nice, very helpful, and I learned a lot about what alcoholism was all about and what I needed to do in order to change. I followed all their suggestions, I was kind of a model resident, and after a while I actually began to work there. To make a long story short, that was probably one of the longest periods of sobriety that I had back in those days, and I ended up as the administrator of one of the four facilities. By then I was still fairly young, I think probably around 25 years old, and I think the powers that were thought that I was really going to be a great asset for their program. They even sent me to schools at uh, UCLA. There was a thing called the CARD program, Counseling on Alcoholism and Related Disorders, I believe. And then they sent me to the University of Utah uh, for another week-long alcoholism program. So I learned a lot during these times. Uh, especially during that job in L.A. And for all intents and purposes, I would have looked like the perfect recovering alcoholic. The AA program suggested that we get a sponsor, which I did, who turned out to be a guy named Joe who was 80 years old. And he did turn out to be one of the bigger influences in my life. However, there was one little bump in the road. No matter that I was learning what alcoholism was all about, no matter that I was learning what the AA program was all about, 
no matter that I was learning anything, what I wasn't learning was anything about me. I was willing to do whatever I could to help other people, but I wasn't willing to, here it is again, surrender. I wasn't willing to say, I really need to look at myself. I really need to dig down and see what the problem is and change it. And the funny part was that I had all the tools at my fingertips during those years to change whatever I wanted to change. And I had all the help I needed to change. But it made no difference unless I had become willing. I believe it was almost two years before I needed, felt like I needed to drink again. Which I did, and of course, I had a car that by then, uh, money in the bank, and it took me hardly any time to lose the car, to lose the money, to lose everything. And start on another series of ups and downs, jobs, broke, rehab facilities, AA meetings, just a complete circle that I just could not seem to break. So let's leave it there. And next week I'd like to talk about breaking that circle and finding the need to make some changes in my life and make some changes in myself. Goodbye for now, and thank you for listening.